Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker. And several weeks ago, I wrote an article about Dr. Boaz Mann, who has used his CO2 laser to dramatically improve the quality of life and potentially lifespan of brachycephalic breeds. And I am so thankful that Dr. Mann has taken the time out of his busy schedule to meet with us today on Zoom to tell us more about his passion, about how he developed this technique, the reasons behind it, and then, of course, what he's seeing as a result. So thank you so much, Dr. Mann, for taking time out of your very busy day. And uh, I appreciate you joining me. Yes, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. I always love to connect um, with open-minded people and uh, help uh, try to educate on how we can help pets. Well, I love this. And I think all of us as veterinarians, we all have passions. Our heart breaks for brachycephalic breeds, all of them. I'm a general practitioner and certainly soft tissue surgery is, a, I have a soft tissue surgeon, but I, I, other than basic things, I don't do any surgical procedures. So I love the fact that you clearly were desperate enough that you sought training, you have expertise in this area, and you've put your skills to amazingly good use in terms of uh, helping smash face dogs breathe better. So can you walk us through... Uh, how this came about and um, and how things unfolded for you to be able to provide this amazing service. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, <clears throat> and one of the first things I like to say is, you know, you just made a comment that all vets are making. Hey, you know, I do some soft tissue surgeries, but, you know, that's about it. Just the basic <laughs> soft tissue surgery. <clears throat> and and my, my goal as a general practice vet I do not have um, a board certification in laser in surgery, I should say. Um, I mean, I've been in general practice now for 20 years. I've been using laser for 20 years. So, of course, I have an advantage with laser surgery experience. However, this is a soft tissue surgery. So if you can make an incision and remove a lump with a laser, you can do this. So it's just something that I'm passionate about because um as you are you know i like to educate you know pet parents and other vets about things we can do to help these breeds who are suffering and um, i happen to have put a post up about a before and after um on a frenchie that went viral um around the same time that they announced that the frenchie had become the number one breed in the u.s after the lab had been number one for 30 years so I think it was kind of a recipe of a certain timing and maybe, you know, my the fact that I had been putting this content up that kind of attracted a lot of um, the Frenchie lovers. Now, it's not only about Frenchies, you know, as you say, the smush face, it's the top three breeds, which are French Bulldog, English Bulldog, and Pugs. These are the considered three most what called extreme brachycephalics, which means their faces are flat. Not only flat, but they're extremely flat. So they suffer the most with these respiratory issues. Yeah. So we've all seen these dogs. Not in, As pet parents, we see them out and about. We all can hear Strider. We hear how difficult it is for them to respire. Our hearts break. It's awesome that you are so well-skilled with a laser. It's amazing. So how did you, did you, did you just... Did did a did a Frenchie owner come in desperate and you say, "Hey, I have something to try." Walk me through how your how this came about. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because um, I had been doing laser surgery for many many years, and um, I actually, like you mentioned before, had a surgeon that would come in to do other surgeries that I wasn't used to doing. So 
here I had a surgeon who's excellent, qualified, come to my practice and doing um, these procedures without a laser. And I'm like, hey, you know, I have a laser sitting in my hospital. And um, there are three fears essentially that have prohibited us in general practice from tackling these dogs. And, and uh, we talk about fears a lot, fear, anxiety, and stress. You probably have heard that many times, whether you're fear-free certified or you're not fear-free certified, but the fears are this. The first fear is the pet parent with that flat-faced dog, okay? That pet parent doesn't want to go to the vet. Why? Because they don't want that dog getting anxious. Why? Because they don't want that dog going into respiratory distress. That's the first fear. The second fear is that actual dog that gets to your hospital is actually going into that panic mode and getting stressed and anxious and then starting to have those respiratory issues. Now, the third fear is us vets because for so many years, we went to vet school and we were referring these cases and sending them out and being scared to refer them, didn't want something to happen, you know, and we weren't tackling it head on. And because these breeds have become so popular, I, I believe that if we're not trying to do more for them in general practice, we're going to fail this popularity and this challenge. It's like an uphill battle because yeah. there's so many of these dogs out there and there's only a handful of specialists that have the time to do it. And these dogs that are on waiting lists, you know, they're, they're suffering and, and how horrible um, these dogs suffer, especially um, these dogs that have these extremely fat, flat faces, not only from respiratory issues, but secondary issues that are complications of that. And you mentioned, you know, helping them with their quality of life. This has been proven to help delay or even um, prevent the onset of the numerous complications that happen um, after this has not been corrected over time, laryngeal paralysis, they get secondary GI issues from the negative pressure in their airways. So there are so many things that we're helping this pet uh, with and there are not many surgeries that I've ever ever done in practice that I can say are as rewarding um, for changing quality of life in a dog that walks in your practice cannot breathe and walks out breathing better all of a sudden can smell it's got an open nose um, can swallow can not have to worry about an obstruction in front of the windpipe it's really unbelievable and the earlier it has been proven the earlier the interaction the earlier the the surgery, the surgery, the correction, um, it greatly, greatly improves their quality of life in the future. I'm sure it is a tremendous feeling. You literally in 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 a one day in office procedure, the animal doesn't spend the night. You're able to take an animal from potentially very poor quality of life to superb quality of life. It's it's fascinating. But so I graduated 25 years ago. I did not learn in vet school how to wield a laser. So I have to ask first and foremost, did you did you was your interest in laser? Now I'm certified in rehab. So we use cold laser, of course, you know, for back dogs and things like that. But in terms of a CO2 cutting laser, I didn't learn any of that in vet school. And I'm assuming if you, you might've had an introduction, but you had to have had a passion and, or you worked at a hospital that had a laser. So you had introduction, but tell me how you first got introduced and trained with the laser. Good question. So um, before I was a vet and, and when I was going to a vet in Boca, um, she actually had one of the first carbon dioxide lasers out there. So I was exposed to laser very early on. Um, and medical technology in the last 20 years, I graduated in 2004, has changed with devices. And um, carbon dioxide laser is no exception. The laser from 20 years ago to the laser now is you know, night and day. So we're now able to cut at the same speed as a scalpel blade. We're now able to minimize 
trauma to the tissue um, with this new um, laser. There's something called um, super pulse, which is technology that allows you to make an incision and only affect the tissue exactly where you're making the incision. So you're not harming the surrounding tissue. Um, and and um, I work with um, Vet Scalpel, which is uh, the manufacturer of the laser in the United States very closely. Um, and one of the reasons I came about working with them is because I'm passionate about sharing what we do and how we help pets. And I was putting things out there for a long time on laser surgery. Um, I would say it kind of got to um, a higher level during COVID because pet parents were not involved in the exam room. Um, and that was hard for us. That was hard for the pet parents. So I wanted them to see, hey, although they're not involved, let's show them like the value of what we do. We love what we do. Let's let's share that passion. Let's let them see how laser surgery is helping their pets. So um, I work closely with Vet Scalpel. I do have a vet um, a relationship with them. Um, and, and I'm only passionate about things that I know can help pets. There's a lot of people that have approached me about doing other things. Oh, let's get on this bandwagon. But if I can't prove that the technology or the product is not going to help that pet in a major way, I'm not going to stand behind it. So that's why I'm so passionate about what I do. And that makes, that makes great sense. Do, did you, do, does the company offer CE or how, if I wanted to go, I know, I know you're saying it's the same as the scalpel. I get that, but I'll be honest, laser, especially in the nares, it just with, when it comes to hemostasis or blood control, there's some real advantages over in my opinion, over traditional cutting with a scalpel and laser, especially for, you know, mucous membranes, soft palate. So if I, if I decided I wanted to get trained in this, where is there an option for, I would assume after this article came out that went viral with this well, uh, life enhanced after, you know, life enhanced after one minor procedure, this dramatic change, the story gets out, goes viral. I have to imagine I'm not the only veterinarian saying, hey, how do we all learn this? And you know, where do we go for CE? Because as much as cutting is an option, in my opinion, laser would be better. Do you agree with that? Well, yes. Um, and of course, you know, everyone's going to think I'm biased. However, um, this laser, um, scientifically, it seals the blood vessels. Yes. It seals the, it seals the nerve endings, seals yes. the so you're you're reducing bleeding, okay? You're reducing swelling, pain. Uh, you're yeah, reducing. reducing pain. Yes. And, and going up in the nose and to ablate that tissue in the nose. Of course, I have a strong headlamp on, um, with minimal bleeding and no sutures. Yeah. Is a game changer. No sutures in the throat is a game changer. Yeah. Um, shorter anesthetic time is a game changer. Um, all these things combined with newer technology. I mean, the surgeons that are performing laser out there, and there's a lot of general surgeon vets that are doing laser surgery who are afraid of this, need to overcome the fears. And I'm actually going out to um, um, conventions. I'm going to the yearly Good. veterinary laser surgery symposium. You asked me you know, how you could learn yeah. to, um, to help these vets because my passion is we help as many of these pets as possible. I can't help them all. And there's plenty of others that are trying to help and doing a great job. Um, yeah. But the more of us in general practice that are doing it, the better for these pets. Um, yeah. A lot of these pets really like to travel, but I do have pet parents that travel to me from different areas for this just because they'll call me and say, hey, nobody wants to touch my dog. And, yeah. and, and the poor dog. I mean, what, is it supposed to just go into hyperthermia and, and pneumonia and just you know, die a short um, life, it, it's horrible. So we need to try to help them as much as we can. 
We do. And part of that, I helping them as much as we can, I think is kind of a three-pronged approach. First of all, start breeding dogs that have noses, right? It's a reparative confirmation is going to fix the problem generations down the road, number one. Number two, um, if your animal is in respiratory distress, you have to be able to do something. That that requires veterinarians become well-educated, but also well-trained in these procedures to be able to offer these services like you're doing. I would imagine you have people coming from all over now because they're desperate to offer some relief for their animals that are not breathing or respiring well. So can I ask in the last, if you've done laser, let's say 20 years, would you say in the last five years, whoop, how much of your, how much of your day is now doing laser procedures versus what you were doing five years ago? I mean, it's, it's really unbelievable. Um, and it's been a paradigm shift. You know, I wish I could put numbers on it. However, I could tell you, um, the demand has always, always, always been there, but the surgical, uh, option and the technology combined with laser surgery, um, kind of just came to like, um, a point where pet parents are finding out about it, not only because of the laser surgery, but because of the research and the data that's out there now on all these pets who suffer. Um, and we've gone from a, a reactive situation and we've all been guilty of it. I've been guilty of it as a veterinarian. Oh, you know, it's a Frenchie, it's a pug. They, they're going to have breathing issues to waiting till they get to that respiratory crisis, which is horrible. Yeah. So early intervention um, and is the big thing to help these pets, you know, and these Frenchies are the first ones to present clinically um, at somewhere um, around a year old to two to three to four with respiratory issues. Um, and we need to know what the symptoms are to look for, you know, which are really important to educate pet parents. It's not okay when the pet is smiling like this because yeah. it's trying to mouth breathe and get oxygen because the nose is so blocked up. It's going, it's not okay. And it's not okay to say that grunting and that snoring is cute because these right. are signs of an airway blockage and we have gone to that point where we are now taking it head on from when they're early. And it's great um, if you have a referral surgeon who can do it in your area. And it's it's also great if you want to try to, you know, learn about it more and, and do more, especially if you already have a laser. Um, so I'm doing a lot more, I should say. I know that was kind of a roundabout answer, but I'm doing a lot more than ever. I had no idea there was such a demand until I started, you know, putting it out there. And, yeah. and sharing how we're helping these pets. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it, 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 it created um, a windstorm and, and, and I'm happy to be part, I wanna be part of this movement that helps to fight this breeding issue. But I, I can tell you that we're losing the battle and, and why, why I can tell you that is because I try to follow as many of these bulldog breeders, breeders as possible. And they are breeding for the wrong traits. And unfortunately, the pet parents are falling victim to the miseducation of what, you know, a healthy Frenchie should look like. And if you look back in the years, just like you said, they used to have a snout and now there's none. Um, so we really need to make sure that we do our responsibility in telling pet parents who are looking for Frenchies what to look for, you know, actually see the parents make sure that they don't have that extreme flat face. Um, it's just such a big deal. They're even they're even calling these Frenchies, they're calling them big rope Frenchies. You ever heard of that term? No, no. So that means, so, so that means their, their face is so flat that they have this huge fold of skin right above their nose, it's called a rope. 
And so they're saying, oh, this big rope Frenchie is is super valuable. They're putting an extra like amount for that. It's, so it's going to live its whole life with a skin infection because it has this excessive fold of skin above its nose because its face is so flat that the skin is just drooping in front of it. Yeah. So it's really I sad. Think- it's really sad. And and just uh, certainly I understand how adorable this breed is. I think that's why they're so popular. However, so listeners, readers, viewers, remember I have a 24, a 21 point breeder questionnaire that I, if you are, if you can't rescue a dog, if you're going to shell money out for a dog, we have to do our ethical and moral responsibility to buy a dog that has been bred for reparative confirmation, meaning the breeder is doing genetic testing to make sure that the genetics are as diversified as possible. And number two, that they're, they're, they're breeding out breed flaws, including the inability for some of these brachycephalic breeds to even respire. So you, what we can't do is say, oh, I cracked. It was a weak moment. I put a deposit down without doing reference check, background check, DNA check, making sure. Um, I One of the things I would personally make sure is that potentially that the animals are whelped naturally, that there's enough diversification in genetics that that the French Bulldogs are not born via C-section, that they're naturally whelped, which means those breeders are intentionally doing things to rapidly and quickly do what they can to help restore the genetics. But So that that is our goal, is to stop the breeding of, of poorly bred, you know, flat, super flat face breed, get a nose back on a dog so that they can respire. But the fact is because they are so popular, supply and demand dictates, there's, there's a lot of backyard breeders, a lot of puppy mills, a lot of people who are doing no DNA testing. They have no, they have no care about genetics and they certainly are not looking to enhance breathing and respiratory well-being through, through wise pairing of dam and sire. And that's of concern for all of us. You are here on the other end, kind of catching the fallout from people, from this breed being so incredibly popular, people maybe not doing their homework, not buying from a responsible breeder, and then they have dogs that have serious respiratory issues. I appreciate you mentioning the fact that the sooner you can do this minor surgical procedure that can greatly enhance well-being, the better it is for them. Living in a state of hypoxia, I interviewed uh, some longevity experts at the Broad Institute a couple of years ago, and they actually were mentioning that hypoxia is one of the big things that we underestimate in veterinary medicine, that chronic hypoxia, which is, of course, what happens with brachycephalic breeds, is a contributing factor actually to cancers and a whole host of other degenerative conditions for a body that's not capable of respiring adequately throughout life. You can see how that literally could take years off your dog's lifespan. So the the sooner the intervention, the healthier and the better when it comes to extending the longevity piece, I'm sure. Walk me through how quickly the procedure takes and kind of what you do. Sure. So, um, you know, we, we should, we should preface this by saying that every dog is different and they all have, um, different, um, risks for anesthesia, regardless if they're going to have a lump removed or they're going to have this surgery. Um, so it's important that when we evaluate these dogs, that we do our homework, just like we would with any other surgery, you know, are there pre-existing issues, you know, um, have uh, the appropriate precautions been taken? Um, you know, I'm very proud, um, to, to do things uh, to the best of my ability. Um, you can see, you know, we, we have aha on our jacket and we're fear free. So we always try to do all the things possible to know if we're doing the right thing for the pet, is that pet going to really benefit from the surgery? Um, and there's actually a really um, cool um, score system that's called the B-Risk score. 
Um, and it actually gives us a number um, when we're in there with the pet parent. The first thing we do is go through, okay, is your dog a Frenchie? And if it's a Frenchie, it gets a half a point. Um, has your dog had airway surgery? Because some of these dogs come to us with two or three times of surgeries that they've had. Um, are we planning on doing other things during that surgery? And as vets, I have to say, especially in general practice, we have a propensity to try to do, oh, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. Let's do the um, neuter. Let's do the lump. Cram it all in, right? Yeah. Cram it all in. We don't want this dog on our season more than once. Well, we need to understand and, and explain in words that this is a functional improvement in the quality of life surgery. And this is not like an add-on for something else or something else, an add-on to this. So with any surgery, we want to shorten that anesthesia time so that we can accomplish something that's going to help that pet. Doesn't matter what it is. So the same thing applies with this. Um, as far as you know, the exam, and then once we've gotten all our pre-anesthetics done and we feel the dog is a good candidate, um, they come in in the morning. And one thing that's really important, especially with being um, uh, with these dogs tending to be a little bit more anxious and hyper, is to make sure we have adequate um, sedation and anxiolytics on board when they come into the practice, especially the day of surgery, um, because what we don't want happening is what, what we have heard of happening in the past is these dogs getting into the hospital, you know, sitting in the hospital for an hour or two. Then all of a sudden they're so full in the back. You can't even do the surgery. You're trying to save their life, right? So you don't want that to happen. You want immediate um, to give something that's going to help relax that dog, make sure it's going to have a good experience before, during, and after the surgery. So that's very, very important. And that, that goes back to the fear, anxiety, and stress. The procedure itself um, can be down in about an hour, less than an hour um, for both the nose and the throat. Um, the nose part does take actually longer um, because we're not only making the entrance to the nose larger, but we're going inside each nostril to ablate all that excessive tissue. There's something called alar fold in there, and there's a bulb that attaches to it all the way in the back. And unfortunately, what happens, and I've seen happen with traditional surgery, sometimes we call it a wedge surgery, is you're not able to get all that tissue out. There's so much bleeding. Um, it's not visualized. That whole piece is not removed. And then you still have left a problem inside the nostril. So it's not just, you know, this is not Hollywood making a nose job look pretty. This is for functional airway improvement. And that's why you'll see in some of my social media posts, I always shine a light up there, um, even before surgery and after surgery, show the difference. You can actually see an open nose versus there's nowhere for this light to go because it just, it can't penetrate such a yeah. block. Yeah. So did you go to, did you, did you go to a mentor and see this done or I, what, when was the first time you ever did this procedure? Good question. So, um, as I mentioned, I have a relationship with vet scalpel. Um, and you know, I approached them actually, um, cause we had already worked together for so many years. I said, Hey guys, I know there's people out there that are doing it. Um, and we're getting a, a lot of feedback on Frenchies. Frenchies are the number one. Um, and, and they all, and we actually had a, a very nice conversation. If, if we don't tackle the issue now and we're not doing this, then, you know, we're going to, if we, if not now, then when basically. So, um, I started working with Vet Scalpel many, many years ago. Um, and some of the people at Vet Scalpel have been doing this much longer than I, some surgeons have been doing this much longer than I. Um, and I think what kind of, um, was maybe different or some, some, something that helped me was actually sharing it because 
A lot of us do such amazing things. We all have such passion, but if you're not putting it out there, like you are doing things all the time on social media. Now, I may not agree with the things you do. You may not agree with all the things I do, but we're still trying to share something we're passionate about. Yeah. And I think that's where um, a big weakness is for us as veterinarians um, to actually share what we're doing. Because like I said, before I put out that I was doing this, I, I was hardly doing it because people didn't know, didn't know. how these yeah. dogs did. Yeah. Um, as far as the, um, the other question you asked me, what was the question? I'm so sorry. I kind of got, so, so I just wanted to know, because this is something that I didn't learn how to do in vet school. So normally it was when I first wanted to do vasectomies on male dogs, I, I wasn't trained how to do that. I'm a wildlife rehabilitator. So like when I would have like roadkill, I would find roadkill and then neuter a raccoon because I, I didn't have any training. You right. probably weren't doing laser procedures on roadkill like I have done, uh, but that, so sometimes when you don't learn it in vet school, you have to figure out a way how to above all do no harm. And certainly before you'd ever practice on a patient, you you get some skills behind you. But you had a lot of laser skills prior, so it makes sense that you were able to maybe see this done through a mentorship program and then feel confident enough to do it. I love that you're empowering general practitioners to gain this knowledge, but I think I want to I want to help. If there's other GPs like myself listening, I want to point them in the right direction. Would it be contact during, contacting the laser manufacturer or is there a group of veterinarians that maybe have a referral network? If if vets hear this and are inspired, yeah. where would they go to learn more? Well, Vet Scalpel um, okay. has a lot of training, a lot of um, information online. Okay. Um, and some of us who have lasers, uh, whether it's a Vet Scalpel or another laser, um, can be trained uh, remotely. Nice. Um, Zoom um, is, you know, obviously out there now. There are so many things that we can learn how to do. Um, and there's so much, uh, there are so many videos out there. There is, nice. you know, any condition for laser surgery, you could probably find it, whether it's on VetCalp or you just go to YouTube and, and search for that surgery on YouTube. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of things you can do without even leaving your practice. However, I would say it doesn't replace like going to like the laser surgery symposium. If you really want to get hands-on experience, you want to meet the people that are actually on the forefront of this technology. You want to make sure that what you're using is the adequate tool. Yes. So having a laser is amazing, but it's not going to make a, um, a bad surgeon into an excellent surgeon. Right. You still have to have technique. You still have to have the basic principles. Um, and all those things can be, um, something you learn at either the, a convention like that that's once a year. Um, it's coming up soon in San Diego. Actually, I was just at one, um, but it's coming up next year in San Diego. Um, nice. And they do, it, they do it once a year, but also throughout the year, uh, that scalpel meets with um, practices who have nice. lasers, who want to upgrade their laser, and they can do um, some um, hands-on training at the practice. They can do Zoom training if someone already has one and they want to learn how to do this. Um, I always tell um, people to contact me, like I'll get text messages or um, DMs from Instagram um, about the surgery and their people that are interested in either upgrading or, or learning how to do their surgery. Yeah. And that's awesome. And I, I really just appreciate you being so supportive of your fellow peers that want to learn more, do more, figure it out. That's, it's really, it's, it's, it's wonderful. So if people wanted to learn more about you or, uh, or have questions, how do you, how would you like people to reach out to you or where should we point people to get more information? Yeah. So, um, I'm a lot of my communications through Instagram at Boca Midtown Vet. 
and I'll respond if someone has a concern. Um, and I'm available always at the hospital too, uh, Boca Midtown Animal Hospital. Um, so the number is 561-218-2210. Um, my email also is my first and last name, drboazman at gmail.com. Uh, I'm easily reachable. Uh, and I, you know, I would, I would say anyone who's interested in learning about it should reach out, you know, and yeah. um, there's also um, a locator tool um, for those pet parents that may be looking for a laser surgeon uh, through vet scalpel um, to look for a laser surgeon that they, they can get help with, you know, to, to find someone in their area. Um, and if not, you know, we're always willing to try to help the closest um, next option. That's beautiful. And that's a great resource. I'm so glad that VetScalpa has uh, an online directory that's that will be inc- is, that's incredibly useful, especially if it potentially is all of North America and or the world. That's that's a great resource. We'll include that yeah, in right the now. in the article as well. So this is a really an amazing opportunity for people to recognize that if they have a brachycephalic breed, that there are there's hope. And there's hope through trained general practitioners that that can learn how to do this procedure adequately, competently, to give a dramatic improvement in quality of life to their patients, and certainly afford Frenchies and other brachycephalic breeds the opportunity to not just respire normally, but to be healthier longer because they're able to to move air. And I appreciate you putting the time and energy and commitment into not just researching this, but learning how to perfect it. And then in turn, sharing your knowledge with other veterinarians. It's a really beautiful way to support uh, our patients, but also to help us all learn and become better vets. So I appreciate your commitment to that. Yeah, I appreciate, you know, um, connecting with you and your team. And um, hopefully, you know, the trend continues to um, fix more of these dogs that need some help. And um, there are um, so many of these dogs out there. And, and, you know, it's so important for us all, you know, as you know, as a vet to to educate and to make sure we're helping pets that suffer. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being so innovative and just create, create, maybe not creating, but you have brought to light a procedure that general practitioners have available and you're showing the benefits front and center about the quality of life enhancements that are dramatic when, when this simple and easy procedure is completed. So I appreciate your incredible commitment to our profession and our patients. Oh, I appreciate, I appreciate it as well. And I have to say, I actually had gotten um, a couple calls because you had put something out there, people that came to me with their dogs, say, hey, Dr. Karen Becker said, you know, uh, about your procedure and, you know, what you're doing um, and connecting all of us is is also, uh, without, you know, us all interacting with one another, we're not going to change things and we don't want status quo. So I really appreciate you, you know, putting that out there for people to learn about. You bet. I think that the more of us working together to be able to get the, like you said, we each have individual passions and desires in terms of professional, what direction we want to go in and allowing everyone to kind of fully exist in their niche while referring and sharing allows every pet parent to get the care that they need with the doctor that best aligns with them. And that's exactly the power of communication. So I appreciate all that you're doing to share the wisdom that you have and for making Breakies Valley Breeds healthier. Thank you, Dr. Mann. Thank you. I appreciate your time.